You're listening to InRay from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of InRay features insights from experts across the world into the most complex issues facing legal and compliance professionals today. Welcome to the InRay Negotiation Podcast Cultural Series. I'm Christine Sun from Control Risk, and I have with me today Tungli Susanna, Managing Partner of Developing Global Leaders. In the last part of the podcast, we learned that differences in interpretation was due to different cultural, cultural assumptions. Negotiation may fail due to misinterpretation. Susanna, you told us that knowing the culture may be an advantage in the negotiation. Can you elaborate on that? Thanks, Christine. Yes, it's definitely a very helpful thing to know the culture. Maybe a great example I'd like to share with you was when a foreign party realized the typical American way of doing negotiations. They thought, okay, Americans want to get down to business, want to focus on the task and get it done as soon as possible. And what they did was that uh, they brought in their small final request just towards the end of the negotiation because they believed that the Americans rather walk away with a slightly less good deal than with no deal at all. I mean, these requests weren't deal breakers, but they were still advantageous for this other party. And it actually worked, although I must say, Personally, I prefer when both parties are culturally aware because then it's a more fair environment for fair negotiations. Yes. Okay, that's a really well planning and a, like a strategic negotiations planning, right? Okay, so it's clearly that knowing the culture can be an advantage, but not knowing the culture can be an disadvantage, a disadvantage too. It's important for us to understand the culture to avoid any potential mistake in the negotiations. So in Chinese culture, for example, I was scolded by my mom that I gave her a watch as a Mother's Day's gift. I mean, only many years later that I found out the the reason, okay? This is because watch is very similar to a clock. And the word clock is is very similar to a word for attending funeral ritual, okay? So clock are also a symbol of time of running out. And then we typically in Chinese culture, uh, they are often to view as a root gift. So do you have similar experience, Susanna? I actually experienced that the business world almost exactly the same same thing. That basically there was an organization which wanted to expand in China. So really set up a lot bigger operation. The negotiations were going really well with the Chinese party. And as an appreciation, the American party decided to send a set of clocks with the, the company logo on them to the Chinese partner, they never heard from them again. Oh, okay. So it's a bit unfortunate and sad, but it happened. So we have spoke about different style in communication, direct, indirect communication in part four of this podcast, and also spoke about how it affects the interpretation. And if I may ask you, Susanna, what, which cultural factor has the most impact in a negotiation? So the cultural differences in communication styles, which we already covered a little bit, are extremely important. But we haven't talked about yet the importance of relationship. Perhaps you recall in the previous part, we talked about the Canadian and the South Korean uh, negotiation. Yes, I remember the that. South Koreans were going to be suppliers and they said it no in a very indirect way, using silence, using, mm. silence, using indirect language, etc. But what I'd like to come to, why actually they said no. And it happened because the Canadian party was very task-oriented, 
focusing on the contract, on what they need to do next, whereas the Koreans would have liked to talk to the people, build a little bit of relationship, and that wasn't happening during the meeting. And then the final straw for the Koreans was that they invited the Canadians for dinner. Okay. And they didn't go because they already planned something else. I see. And that's why the Koreans said, okay, if they are really so not interested in us, then we can't work with them. And I think that's one of the like, best stories for <laughs> showing this because they were the supply, they were going to be the supplier. So for them, there was really nothing to lose just to gain. And yet they said, we don't want to work with you. If I may put this into two cultural preference here, right? One is a culture with really focus on like very task oriented. Another culture is a relationship oriented culture. Okay, the difference in cultural background clearly actually shape how individuals and societies perceive same transactions. So one can just focus on tasks, another one look at just purely relationship. And you know, whether you have a priority for task or relationship, that will also influence how you view contracts. Mm. So for example, when you have a culture which is very relationship-oriented. The contract itself, that document, is just part of that long-term relationship. So if something is missing from the contract, it's not such a big deal because you have that long-standing relationship. Whereas the priorities on task, then that contract is often viewed as one standalone contract. contract, and we fulfill this, and then we move on. Yes, I agree. Actually, this also affects um, the party's view in disputes and their willingness to engage in the conflict resolutions process. So in some culture, breach in one contract will not affect their, uh, another contract the parties had. Okay, But however, in other cultures, breach in one contract may be perceived as loss of trust and lead to termination of the remaining contracts the party had. Okay, So some cultures really prioritize long-term relations relationship and trust uh, in the relationship itself. In fact, I attended a mediation. The party said that because I lost the trust to this particular party, I do not want to continue the contract anymore. So that's clearly a a party that actually focused a lot more on relationship building. Right. So in part two of our in-way negotiation podcast, we discuss who needs to be at the negotiation table. From a mediation and a negotiation standpoint, the representatives must be able to make decision and of course all authorized to make decision. Susanna, in cross-cultural negotiation, what do we need to consider in selection of parties to be at the negotiation table? Thank you so much because cultures will have a huge impact on this and the uh, the part which is the most important from the cross-cultural perspective is the how we view hierarchy. And different characteristics can put us actually on different hierarchical levels. And one of these characteristics is age. I actually witnessed uh, a situation when um, there was a Chinese general manager about to meet a Western counterpart. But when his PA saw who was present in the mm. lobby of the hotel, uh, he reported back, and the Chinese manager didn't even turn up, didn't come down to the negotiation. Why? Why? What because um, what the PA observed, that there were two young gentlemen oh. who were representing, representing the Western organization. So the Chinese party assumed that since they were so young, they are no way high in a high position, and then probably they are not even the decision makers. 
I see, I see. So in this case, the general manager's background, his cultural background actually focused a lot on a hierarchical culture, which emphasized a lot on roles, experiences, as well as rank. When he was made aware that the representatives that come from the other side do not have exactly the same experience that he had. He perceived that the party do not have the same experience. He felt that the party was insincere or maybe like the representatives, not the decision makers. So he decided not to attend. Yes, but you know, it's not just uh, the Chinese party, which could have been more culturally aware, but the Western side as well, because uh, they misinterpreted the situation for the Chinese not wanting to negotiate at all. They changed their mind. Okay. They had no idea that they actually offended the oh. Chinese counterpart. Okay. So a little cultural awareness could have really helped because the Chinese uh, general manager could have realized that, okay, maybe these youngsters have actually <clears throat> decision-making power or the Western negotiators maybe could have brought, uh, brought with themselves like a little bit of older, more experienced, more individual. experienced individual and that immediately could have had the negotiations. Yeah, actually such differences can be resolved, right? So this brings back to our point of importance of preparations before the negotiations. First of all, we identify who needs to be there, who will be representing the other party. It's not just about whether the person is authorized to make a decision. It's also the whether the representatives is being perceived as the right decision makers in the example that Susanna just quoted. Next, we also need to find out whether there's any cultural aspect, gesture that we need to take note of. For example, a thoughtful gift like buying a clock may turn out to be a deal breaker in the negotiations. And finally, understand how perceptions of relationship in the different culture has an impact in the negotiation. Okay, so I'm very glad to have Susanna with us today. And thank you for listening to the InRay Negotiation Podcast Series. Thank you, Susanna. Thanks very much. Thank you. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe. And be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as Decrypt, the podcast making sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting business. For all our analysis and information about services we offer to organizations worldwide, visit controlrisks.com.